this is an amazing and astonishing story, the story of Jesus. There are people who've spent lifetimes just trying to examine this story. Matter of fact, I, I should say Christianity works. A lot of Mormons that I grew up in the Mormon country, well, I'm a Mormon because it just really works good. And okay, that's not a bad reason. I mean, it, you, you don't have, you don't really do what your faith says, so okay, but, uh, whatever, uh, it, it, it has some good benefits to it. Every religion has some benefit to it. Why would people do it if it didn't, <laughs> right? I mean, so even if they're wrong, there's something about it that helps people in some way, and so that's why people adhere to it. But Christianity works, and here's another way that it works. Some of the most brilliant minds of all time, if you don't know who Babbage is, you should look that up. If you don't know who Isaac Newton really was and his studies, you should look that up. You should. Some of the greatest minds of history have spent their most, their greatest focus on the story of Jesus going to the cross. What did it mean to arrest Jesus? What did it mean for him to die? What did it mean for him? So if the greatest minds that have ever occupied this earth spent their time thinking about this, there might be a reason. <laughs> Maybe we should think about it. Why? What happened to it? It's an amazing thing. There's so much. Uh, since we don't want to be here clear till next week, I'm going to narrow it to two main areas. Okay? I want to talk about the actions during the arrest of Jesus of those who don't and didn't put their trust in Jesus, like Judas, and the actions of those who do believe to struggle, but struggle to trust Jesus. I mean, they really do believe, but they struggle to just trust Jesus. Which is kind of like the rest of us, you know. But mainly in this story, we're going to look at Peter. So let's read John 18. We're going to, if you want to happen to like in your Bible, but it'll be on the screen. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who had betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, I always want to say nevertheless came forward, but Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have not, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Wow. We're going to start with the actions of those who don't believe. And here's my first question. Why did John stop the narration of his story to say Judas was there? Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. 
Judas, who betrayed him, <laughs> was standing with them. Then Jesus said to them, I am. They drew back and fell to the ground. Uh, he already told us Judas was coming. He saw Judas having procured a band of soldiers went there. Right? He clip back in verse 3. Why did he stop? <laughs> Why stop and tell us Judas was there again? Well, first, they all knew Jesus' claims to divinity that he thought that he was the Son of God. They all knew that was true. That's why they were arresting him. And it is true that the phrase I am in Greek, in Greek, it could mean just, you know, I'm the one you seek. I mean, it, it, it could just mean that. But in Jewish ears, <laughs> in Jewish ears, it could mean the great I am. In the original language, there's no he. It just says I am. But the, most translators feel, well, he probably just meant I am he. So I'll just write that all out. But it actually just says I am. And that's the name of God. <laughs> now, here's another point. We don't knew, know in what language Jesus was speaking. Uh, John wrote it down in Greek because that's what everybody read back then. But maybe Jesus spoke it in Hebrew. Whoa, that would have got him. <laughs> or, or even Aramaic, which is very close. I should stop. The background of the phrase, I am. Way back when, when Moses was off in the desert because he'd kind of run away from Egypt and out of the house of Pharaoh where he was raised, he'd run away and he was, he was managing sheep and one day he's wandering around and he sees this bush. How many you guys, how many know this story? So he sees this bush, it's on fire. And you know that happens in the desert. Things catch on fire sometimes. And, but he watched it and it kept burning. And it kept burning. And it didn't go out. And he's thinking, I can't burn. It's not burning up. It's just burning. It keeps burning. And so he walked towards it. And then, of course, we, we know that he found out that God was there. And he's talking to him. He says, Moses, I want you to go back down to Egypt where they were trying to kill you. <laughs> I want you to go back there and I want you to rescue my people out of there. And one of the things he said was, um, they're going to ask me who sent me. They're going to say, who sent you to talk to us? What am I supposed to tell them? And he said, you just tell them that I am. And the, the story boils down to, like, you're going to understand what I'm going to explain to you, who I am. I'm God. I mean, you're not going to understand. So he said, just tell them I am sent you. Well, I am you move it just a little bit and it becomes the Hebrew word Yahweh. And that is the only name of God that we have, Yahweh. And the Jews never said the name of God ever out loud. To this day, my, one of my profs took uh, at UCLA, he took some theology courses, uh, some Old Testament courses from a Jewish professor. And one time, one of the kids said, one of the other people in the class said, look, all the Christians use it. The Arab, everybody says Yahweh. Why can't we say Yahweh? And he said, I'm telling you, she didn't stand up. She levitated from her chair and said, never say the name. Never. And he said, every one of us was there was so scared. He said, I'm the only Christian in the group. All the rest of them were Jews. And he said, we were all so scared. We never said Yahweh in public again in our lives. You know, it meant a lot to them. So we're back to that question. Now, why did John stop the narration of the story to say Judas was there? Well, why did they all fall down? 
including Judas, who for sure knew Jesus' claims to divinity. There's no way he could have missed it. Now, here's an interesting thing. There was a superstition at that time, especially among the Greeks, that a spell could be cast using the name of God. Whoa, interesting, isn't it? So they were superstitious. They were, well, they didn't believe, so they were all there. But why did they fall back because of that? And especially, why, why Judas? And for that matter, why any Jew? If you're a believing Jew, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go believing these crazy superstitions. They shouldn't have been frightened by a superstition, but I think they fell down because they did know Jesus' claims. And when he said that, I think the, the shock, the, the, I think it overwhelmed them. And so Jesus kind of had to help them out so that they could actually arrest them. <laughs> I think they were frightened. And maybe they thought if he really is God, or at least a prophet, maybe he'll call down fire from heaven like Elijah. Maybe he'll, I think they were scared to death. But I'll tell you what was for sure. God made sure Judas and all those with him knew with whom they were dealing. They could pretend later maybe, oh, you know, we would... No, he made real sure that they knew that the person they were arresting claimed to be God. So, Judas knew, by the way, but he didn't. He didn't leave the path. You'd think with Judas fall down. I mean, if it was me, I'd have said, okay, I think I've really screwed up here. I'm, I'm going to let me back out here and get out of here. No, he didn't stop. He still went up and betrayed Jesus. I don't think he could leave the path of evil that he had set himself on. I don't think he could. Uh, he'd made the decision earlier who he was going to be, and now he just kept going, carried it out. I, I hear all the time people... Oh, you know, I don't worry about Christ now. I'm, I'm not going to die for a while. I'll worry about it when I get there. You know, when I'm about to die, then I'll come to Christ. It doesn't actually work like that. It's not that easy to change. I don't think anybody in that crowd, except maybe Malchus, we'll get to that later, he might have changed, but that's about it. It doesn't look like any of the rest did. A little scary. And here's another question for you out of that story. John says they brought both lanterns and torches. Okay, they brought some light to see by. Why why say lanterns and torches? That's kind of weird. And and then he just said weapons. Well, they must have had all sorts of kinds of weapons and everything. Why didn't he describe those? Why did he just say lanterns and torches? Kind of interesting. Now, of course, you have that whole authenticity thing there. All all the way through the Bible, little pieces are put in, like like the Melchus name. Why? you have to have been an eyewitness. You don't you don't write little details like that if you're making up stories. You, you you make sure because those can be checked. People can find out if they really did happen like that. But why still did John bring it up? What well it's like this. Who brings torches and who brings lanterns? What kind of people carry those two different kind of lights? It's easy, it's the brutal and the civilized, the soldiers, and the temple officers. They all stood against Jesus, no matter how educated they were, no matter their cultural or social position. The whole group stood against Jesus. The temple officers, they were, they were so superior to those soldiers. They didn't use foul language. They always dressed nice. 
They had beautiful homes, drove drove really nice Mercedes. You know, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. They have Mercedes chariots back then. Anyway, they <laughs> they were they were never uncouth. They were always just just right. And they called for Jesus' death, just like the soldiers did. Increased cultural acumen. Yeah, that doesn't guarantee spiritual strength. It doesn't even equate to spiritual understanding. Or not, either way. I mean, it doesn't make any difference. You can be as cultured as you want as not. It doesn't matter. Whether or not you believe in Jesus is the thing. And it comes back to that. I hear this all the time. People are basically good. <laughs> well, do you live here? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Uh, but... But all people like that, they say, all you got to do is teach people what's right and wrong, and they'll be all right. They'll choose right. You remember Chuck Colson? He died just a few years ago. He ran prison fellowship. He ran all this wonderful stuff he did for Christ and all that stuff. What we have to remember is he was a reformed, convicted felon. Okay, the man spent time in prison. All right, that's how come he came where he was. He became a believer through that. That. But he used to say that if you educate criminals, you get educated criminals. <laughs> They're just better at being criminals than they used to be. That's all that happens. It's a hard issue. You've got to change a criminal's heart. Then you no longer have a criminal. And it's true. Changing the heart has to start in the mind. You've got you to have some kind of understanding there. But knowledge itself doesn't guarantee belief. Judas knew that he didn't believe. And then, you know, we'll just look at what he did. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man. Seize him. Well, point one. Why'd they even need Judas? <laughs> okay, they got no TV. They got no internet. They got no newspapers. They got Nobody, unless you knew Jesus personally, you didn't know what he looked like. If he's in a great big crowd, you know, no binoculars, you can't see. They didn't know. So they needed somebody to ID Jesus. So Judas planned to use his knowledge and the appearance of friendship, in other words, to use his relationship with Jesus to gain money. <laughs> money. By the way, that's always that was always his goal. If you read elsewhere in the scripture, we find out that he was always... He handled the money bag and used to take from it. Judas was always after the money. And he thought, originally, this whole story that Jesus was going to set up a kingdom, right? He believed that. And he thought, if I stick with Jesus, I'm going to get a lot out of this. <laughs> that was his reason. That's why he was with Jesus. To get for himself. And then when he found out he wasn't going to get, <laughs> he said, I'll get it for myself then. I'll do it myself. And he betrayed Jesus. So Judas, he used the words that true believers used. He acted like a true believer. He even used signs of love like a true believer. I mean, we would we would shake hands. You know, we'd come up, oh, hi, professor. My old profs, I'd be so happy to see them. I'd be shaking their hand. And Yeah, in the back in that culture, in that, that part of the world, they'd kiss each other on the cheek. That was a sign of a true friend. And he did it all. To gain wealth. Came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Well, here's another question. Why the subterfuge? Why fake it at that point? I mean, it's right there. 
There is. Get him. Well, I think it's easy. They didn't understand Jesus at all. So a little, remember, this is nighttime. And this is the Middle East. It's not like there's street lights in the first century in the Middle East. So it's dark. Jesus, ten steps and they'd never find him. He just turned and run. And, and they didn't find him. There are crowds everywhere. This is the Passover. There, that little town, which was normally, you know, maybe 10, 15,000 people, there was at least 150,000 people around that town, right? There. It was huge. It was crowds everywhere. Uh, the difficulty was finding a place you could be alone. <laughs> so it would have been very easy for Jesus to escape. And they figured, that's what I'd do. That's probably what Jesus would do, right? <laughs> uh, they were just trying to, you know, they're thinking protect number one. Take care of me. i got to take care of me. And they just thought Jesus would be like them. But he wasn't. <laughs> and by the way, he showed quite clearly what they were like with this statement. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay your hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. He's saying, if you were honest, (laughs) if you played fair, but they didn't. Their actions were clearly reprehensible. They were terrible. They pretended fairness. They had a veneer, a tiny veneer of honesty. But it was all a sham. So they arrested him. And then they thought, this is kind of amazing to me, they thought physically restraining Jesus and eventually killing him would solve their dilemma. (laughs) They they really didn't understand Jesus. This is a spiritual battle. I didn't get that either. Matter of fact, the only one who really knew what it was all about, the only one, was Jesus. He was it. Nobody else got it. Let's consider those they truly did believe but who struggled to trust Jesus. And and in particular, we're going to look at Peter. Now, Matthew, there were four different men who wrote down this history. Matthew recorded a part of the conversation that happened before Judas arrived with the crowd. Then Jesus said to them, this is the eleven who believe, including Peter, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. (laughs) Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. (laughs) So Peter, in his arrogance, he thought he was first better than the other disciples. Those guys... (laughs) Yeah, I know they're going to follow him. But me? Nah, not a chance. You know, <laughs> He was flexing muscle. Hey, yeah. He was more courageous. I'm more courageous than those guys. They'll, yeah, don't worry. Yeah, I, yeah, but not me. And of course, then the others. Oh, not us. What do you mean us? We won't, you, you can just see. Can you just see these guys doing this? I mean, it's just. They were really guys. <laughs> just real guys. They all thought they had enough strength to stand for Jesus without Jesus. They didn't need Jesus to stand for Jesus. That's what they believed. Mark, he, he used almost the same words as Matthew. 
But it sounds like Luke starts by recording an earlier yet part of that conversation. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. They're the ones who've stuck it out all the way through Jesus' ministry, and they're going to get a kingdom, right? But how? Who gives it to them? Right? And then you can imagine the torn thoughts of the disciples later when he's saying he's going to... Wait, didn't you say you're going to (laughs) die? So how can we be with you as rulers? Well, and Jesus actually said judges. They probably missed that part. But anyway, Jesus doesn't really address that issue, but he continues focusing specifically on Peter. Simon, Simon. That was Peter's given name. Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. (laughs) But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. As Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you have denied three times that you know me. I have no no idea how many times Peter and Jesus went back and forth. No, I'm not going to do it. Jesus, you're going to deny me. No, I'm not going to do it. Peter, you're going to deny me. No, I'm not going to do it. The roasters, you're going to deny me, Peter. I don't know how many times they had to go back and forth through this. But Peter's convinced he's going to make it on his own strength. Jesus disagrees. (laughs) Their own strength will not do. But Peter will turn again. And be the leader of all of those men. But not before he fails miserably. Not until he learns to rely on Jesus alone. You ever ask yourself, how many times do I got to go through this kind of thing? This learning to trust? Yeah, this was a week for me, by the way. I'm, it's been a week. And... Uh, Sometimes trying to rely on Jesus alone, I know I'm supposed to do something, right? (laughs) I don't know. Well, here Luke seems to skip what Matthew and Mark recorded and he goes to the summary in order to illustrate this whole trusting point. He said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. He said to them, But now... Let the one who has a money bag take it. And likewise, a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Enough for what? Two swords, that's enough to fight a cohort of 800 plus soldiers, right? <laughs> what? What's it, enough for what? Well, Jesus points out that, that when they were doing his work with his support, they needed nothing else. Nothing else. And now, for a short time, they won't have him. And so they'll need something else. If they're going to actually make it. Something from this world. And, and of course, the real truth is they're going to fail. <laughs> what Those two swords, you know what they're enough for? The two swords were enough to show them 
to help them discover that they can't do anything on their own. That's what they were good for. <laughs> Just enough to show them they can't do it. That's it. The, the fruitlessness of actions outside of Christ. Go ahead. Grab a sword. <laughs> what Jesus was actually trying to do, he was illustrating the violence of what was about to happen. But they, they thought, oh, you're telling, giving us instructions, literal instructions. Okay, well, well we got a sword here. We got a Yeah. And they still think they can handle it on their own. They haven't actually had the test yet, so that's why they think they can do it. (laughs) And it's funny, think about this. Peter thought he could protect Jesus, right? Jesus, I'm going to protect you. Let's see, who's Jesus? The person of the the creator God in human human form. Peter's going to protect him. Was he kidding? I mean... (laughs) The truth is, Peter had an exaggerated idea of his own importance, of his own ability. Not that we do that ever, but Peter did that. He thought Jesus needed him. And Jesus showed them it was not true. Matthew wrote some of Jesus' words, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? Now, back then, they knew angels were powerful beings. They didn't see them as little guys in diapers and, and nice, soft. They were power. Everybody understood an angel to be a power. Jesus said, yeah, legions. Hello, like 10,000 angels in a legion, and he can send me 10,000? Yeah. <laughs> don't worry. If that was the deal, I don't need you to protect me. There's something much better than being needed by Jesus that was the truth. Jesus didn't need Peter. Jesus wanted Peter. He wanted Peter. Jesus wanted the eleven. Jesus would not only die for his disciples, but instead of them. Why? Because he wanted them. Jesus wants all who turn to him. Jesus wants us. He wants us. And he will gain all who turn to him. But it can only happen one way. It's a way in which the spiritual and the temporal, the, the things in the world, it's a way those two actually come together. So heaven comes to earth and suffers all the evil that earth can deal out. And heaven overwhelms that evil with love. Have you seen that movie, The Matrix? There's a great parallel that they don't even know they did. <laughs> they didn't even catch it. In it, the lead character, there's these bad guys that are really computer programs in this matrix and everybody lives in this matrix, but they don't, but they do. And this character runs and he dives right into the evil person. Just jumps right inside of him. And he overwhelms that evil person. The evil person just kind of blows up because he's just a computer program anyway, so it doesn't matter. And he blows up, and what's left is the good guy. What a beautiful picture of Jesus coming to the earth. Overwhelmed by evil. Evil just came in. They thought they were overwhelming Jesus. What they didn't know the whole time was, as soon as he gets there, they're in trouble. (laughs) Because he's going to overwhelm all this evil. So Jesus rebukes Peter 
for trying to do things his own way, an earthly way with the sword. Peter didn't even understand what the battle was. <laughs> you can't conquer death with death. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. You can't conquer death with death, you just, you just get more death. You can only defeat death with life. So the one who is life entered death and overwhelmed it. <laughs> and the truth is, he's the only way for us to have life. Otherwise, you just have death. So if we want eternal life, we need Jesus. So, let's consider Jesus in this moment, this, uh, this arresting moment. And remember, Jesus is the only one who really knew then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? He understood he had to be sacrificed. He had to become the Lamb of God. He had to die. And he was the only one that understood that. I'm telling you, if Satan had understood, <laughs> he would have never tried to pull this thing off. Jesus knew who he was, the great I am, the person of the Son in human form. And Jesus, he could have easily escaped. I mean, the darkness, the people camping everywhere. But he understood that to save us, he had to die. He had to be sacrificed. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Does Jesus really care that much? Yeah. Yes, he does. He's the only one who does. And, and think of that. Well, he was preparing to give his own life. He was in the middle. of They were about to arrest him so he could die. He knew he was going to die. Peter pulls out the sword, cuts off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant who was there to arrest Jesus. And what we didn't read is what happened next. Jesus said, put that sword away. What's wrong with you? He reached down, got the ear, put it back and healed the guy miraculously. Wait, Jesus, they're about to arrest you and kill you. Why are you stopping to heal the guy that's about to kill you? It's amazing. It's an amazing demonstration of his care. Does Jesus care that much? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Today, well, many people live, live in fear today. Maybe you should be afraid. <laughs> I, I've had, in this church, we've had in the past, I had two little girls. I mean, we're talking like 10 and 11 year old girls that have, that have confessed to us that they keep a knife under their pillow. Two different ones, different times. I, haven't, I keep a knife under my pillow because I'm so scared at night. I don't know, I don't know who's going to come. I, I'm scared. Wow. <laughs> That's, they never feel safe. And, and the truth is, almost, almost nobody does. People don't feel safe. In a sense, they're right. There is no place on this earth that's safe. There's no place you can go and say, I'm absolutely safe here. Forget it. It doesn't exist. The disciples thought they were safe in the garden, right? Jesus went off always, started to pray, and they fell asleep. They felt perfectly safe. Jesus right there. They fell asleep. Kind of like some people do in church. They're real comfortable. They feel safe. You know, they fall asleep. That's okay. <laughs> but the truth is, Satan knew where they were. 
Satan knows every place we meet. Uh, church, this building, is not a safe place from the wiles of the devil. True. They can whisper in your ear here just like you can down the street. Uh, there's no place where we can say we're safe. There's no action that we can take that will keep us safe. And there's no other mere human. None of us can absolutely guarantee we can keep the others safe. We can't do it. I can't keep Becky safe. I can't guarantee that. But we are safe <laughs> when we're with the right person. It's not where. It's not what. It is all who. It's only Jesus. We can only be safe in Jesus Christ. That's it. There is no other way to be safe. And by the way, when you're safe in Jesus Christ, there is no place where you are not safe. I don't care where you are. You are safe. There's no action that anyone can take that can truly harm us in an eternal sense. Nothing. They can't do it. Uh, there's no human. There's no demon. There's, there's nothing, anything, nothing that can keep us from eternal life if we are safe in Jesus Christ. If we call on Jesus they arrested the great I am. And they thought it was all over. But they thought, okay, good. So this Peter thought it was all over. He thought that was it. He ran off, thought it was done. John and all the disciples, they thought it was all over. He's done. Three days, they hid in their room there. He's done. Even today, the world will tell us, well, yeah, Jesus was, but he died. It's all over. Way back then. <laughs> But they're all wrong. <laughs> they are wrong. Jesus did the impossible. He conquered death. That's impossible. No one can raise from the dead after three days. It doesn't happen. It's not possible. Okay. But I'm telling you, it's only impossible if all there is is the physical, the natural realm. If this is it, you're right. It's impossible. But, if there is a spiritual, another realm, if there's a, another domain, if there's another reality, another nature that is actually the real nature, and this little world, we're a tiny subset of reality. I don't know if you knew that. The spiritual world is the big thing, and we're a part, we're a tiny part of that. Just a little part of that. We don't even know the real thing yet. We're, we're living in this natural realm, and there is a supernatural realm. And if Jesus is a resident of that realm, at the same time he was here, he was also there, what? Life is possible no matter what, even in death. As a matter of fact, here's what he did. Jesus did the impossible when he conquered death because he went into death. And death could not survive Jesus being there. So death, you can say that Jesus killed death. You ever realize that? Jesus killed death. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. They're done. They're dead and gone. Death is dead. One day... The full reality, that's what that verse is about. The full reality of all that Jesus did will be made clear on that day. Jesus 
conquered death. Because he is life. And he invites us to share in his life, living. Uh, eternal life is available to all who call on him. Not like those who didn't believe, Judas and the chief priest and soldier. More like John and the other disciples, like Peter. Hopefully, like us. We need to believe. Father, thank you. Every time we think about it, we can't stop saying thank you. You gave to us your Son. Yes, he came willingly, but you had to give him up too. You had to watch your Son take on a human form. And all the way through his life, knowing that he was going to die, you watched him enter death. And although you knew the outcome, as he knew the outcome, the pain is still there. You suffered that pain for us. Jesus suffered enormous pain for us. Because the truth is, we deserve death. We deserve it eternally. But that wasn't what you wanted. You wanted to give us eternal life. And the only way to do that is to give up your son. For him to die and enter death so that he could overwhelm death and destroy death. He could kill death so that we wouldn't have to worry about it. Thank you, Father, for that truth. We've been born twice, so we're only going to die once. <laughs> and then we'll have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.